Yeah, Simon, I was in the Anglican Church, so, it, you know, first of all, we wouldn't have been doing that, but if we were, <laughs> we would have rang a bell, so. But, so I'm Renee, I'm one of the elders here at uh, Grace and Peace, and Matt has asked me to preach today. And our text is going to be taken from the book of Acts, chapter 10. I'm going to focus on verses 23 through 43, although I'm going to touch on all the verses in this chapter. So let me go ahead and read these verses from 23 to 43, so we have some context of what we're talking about here. And it says, The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how lawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Please join me in prayer. For our fathers, we come to you this morning, we glorify and we magnify your name. We ask, Father, that this morning you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive from your gospel. We thank you for your word to us, Lord. We ask that you'd speak to this this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. About 20 years ago, the Lord blessed me and my late wife, Bridget, in a very special way, and we were able to purchase our first new home. 
I don't know if you're familiar with this, but at that time when you moved into a new home and a new housing development, you'd get inundated with door-to-door -door salesmen. You would see these white passenger vans pull up and out would come 10 young men and women with clipboards and on the weekdays they'd start at 5 o'clock until 10 o'clock at night and then on the weekends they would ring your doorbell all day long. You know, at first you'd be kind and you'd say, yes, at first you'd be, uh, you would say, thank you so much for stopping by our house and you'd take a few moments to listen to them and then you would tell them no thank you and then you tell them no thank you and then you tell them no thank you about 10 times and finally they would leave. Now, they were selling everything under the sun but they were mostly selling security alarms and we'd actually have people say to us, well, after it happens, why don't you call us? Almost threatening to break into your house themselves if that's what it would take <laughs> to sell a security alarm. Now this decision to purchase a home happened very quickly and we signed a purchase agreement on Labor Day and by November we'd moved into our new house. Now we had neglected one minor item. We forgot about one little thing. I had just taken our oldest son to college in Indiana and that was at the end of August and we hadn't even planned to buy a house at that time. But he was at school and we moved and we forgot to tell him. Well, he was at school. We didn't figure anything, think he needed any place. So. so he was at school, and just so happened the president of the university was speaking in chapel, uh, and he's talking about the different stresses that the students were going to have to deal with. And, and he said the number one stress was if your parents moved while you were at school. Now, it was just after Thanksgiving. Bridget was ill. She had to have surgery, and after surgery, I brought her home, put her to bed, and I was tired, I was exhausted. And we had just moved in, Bridget had been sick, and all these things were going on, these salesmen just kept coming. Now it was about eight o'clock at night and there goes the doorbell. And a little bit earlier I had received a phone call from my mother and she said, could you tell me again how to get to your house? And I thought it was strange because she'd been to her house many times, but I, t I told her again, and not long after that, the doorbell rang again. And I opened the door and I said, what do you want? And wasn't, I was a little bit cranky. And I said, don't you know what time it is? I don't have time to talk to you. I didn't listen to a word this young man said, and then finally I realized that he looked familiar. He looked like one of my son's friends, and, I, and then there comes my son around the corner, and he says, Dad, Dad, stop, it's me. <laughs> and then I got upset because I thought, oh, great, I spent all this money, took him to college, and he already got kicked out. <laughs> now, as it turns out, he was on a fall break, and it just completely slipped my mind. And he had purchased a ticket himself and had come home to surprise us. And poor Bridget, she was in bed. She had just gotten recovering from the surgery. She was on painkillers. And she thought she was hallucinating. Because all of a sudden, there was her little boy, her son, at the foot of her bed. You know, so I was not happy to have somebody come to my door, even my own son. 
And sometimes that's the attitude we have and we project that into other areas of our lives. We think that if we go to this neighbor or go to that person that they don't want to hear what we have to say. And sometimes we get the impression, sometimes it is deserved, that when we are bringing the gospel, we're just another salesman. As we look at this scripture text, we see that there is a radical change that is about to take place in the church, that these Jewish Christians who had the idea that the gospel was exclusive to them, they were realizing that it was not just for them, but they were to be a blessing to all people. I'm going to read you this quote from Dr. Julius Scott. It seems that the predominant view among at least Judean Jewry of the first century held untenable either the possibility of the Gentiles obtaining God's favor without first becoming a naturalized Jew, a proselyte, or that the uncircumcised had any place among God's people and work. Post-biblical Judaism displayed a variety of attitudes toward non-Jews, almost all of them negative. Gentiles were godless, idolatrous, unclean, and rejected by God. Dealings with them made Jews unclean. The implications of all this on the question of suitable candidates for Christian salvation, entering a favorable relationship with God, must be stressed. Without information to the contrary, many in the Jerusalem church would assume the requirements for admission into their messianic community would include that Gentiles became first Jews. As we come to this text, we're introduced to a God-fearing Gentile named Cornelius. Now this is contradictory what Peter and the other apostles had believed to even think that there would be a God-fearing Gentile was something that didn't enter into their thinking. As we look at this man Cornelius, he lived in Caesarea, which was a Roman city. It was a city that Herod had built to pay homage to Caesar. He was a soldier in the Roman army. He was a centurion who led a hundred men. But Cornelius was also a devout man. He was of that group of people who were Gentiles, and although they were not full proselytes to Judaism, they kept the law and they kept the prayers and they sought God. The text says that he was a generous man. He gave alms and he was a prayerful man. As the text goes on, we see that Cornelius was in his house and he was praying and he has a vision of an angel of God. This angel comes and says to him, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. What was Cornelius' prayer? Now, if we read in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, it says, during those days... The king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. God saw the people of Israel and then it says that God knew. So the angel says to him, God has listened to you. Cornelius, God knows. You know, sometimes as we look over, you know, as a minister and you're looking over a congregation, everybody looks great on Sunday morning. 
but you know, pastors also get the calls on midnight on Friday. And they answer the phone or they go to someone's house and they see the tears. And they see the people suffering. Now in my context in working with people who are experiencing homelessness, you know, it's, it's right there, it's more visible. But there's no difference. You know, when I would supply the pulpit in Los Alamos, New Mexico, or in Albuquerque, where next to Sandia Labs, sometimes I would, you know, be preaching, and there would be 10 PhDs in the congregation, and rocket scientists, and brain surgeons, and, and then I'd go and preach at the chapel in the shelter. And there would seem like there was a, such a big difference between them but as you got to know them both, the hurts and the pain and the slavery at times is the same. Do you want me to use this? And so God says, God has listened to you. God knows. He said, God has also remembered the alms that you've given to his people. Then the angel gives him specific instructions. And he says, you're to send for Simon, who's called Peter. And he tells him where they are to go. He tells him that he's in the house of this Simon, who's a tanner. Cornelius is obedient to this command. And he brings in some of his servants and a devout soldier, and he gives them instructions. So they go forth to find Peter and to speak to him. Now, on the other hand, we have Peter, who's a God-fearing Jew. He's an apostle. He's one of those special messengers that God has divinely chosen. And Peter is a true disciple of Christ. As we look at his life, we see his weaknesses. We also see the great things that God has done through him. We realize that he is a just man, and he is a devout man. He has become the leader of the apostles. As Peter is on the top of the house, he's in prayer. And he goes into a trance and he has a vision. And in this vision, he sees something like a sheet or a sail that is let down from heaven. Peter looks inside of this sheet and it's filled with all types of animals and reptiles and birds. Now, Peter had been hungry. And so the Lord speaks to him and he says, Peter, rise up, kill and eat. Now, Peter does something here that I hope I'm never brave enough to do, and he tells the Lord, no. He says, do you remember who I am? I'm one of your people. I'm following your rules. By no means, Lord, I've never touched anything unclean. God has already begun to work on Peter. God was also working on this Gentile, placing within his heart a desire and a hunger for righteousness. God was working on Peter to prepare him to bring his message to these people he considered unclean. The circumstances were being arranged for a divine collision between Jew and Gentile. And God says to him, Peter, what I have cleansed don't you call common or unclean. God is bringing the apostles to the point where they begin to realize that he had told them, you are a special people to me but you're not my only people. I'm going to bless you, but you are also supposed to bless others. 
the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and he says, three men are coming. Go with them because I have sent them. Which is a little bit strange for God to say. Three men are coming. Go with them because I've sent them. Because in order to send somebody, you had to have been there with them. So God is saying, I was there. I was at Cornelius' house and I've spoken to him and I've sent these men. You need to go with them and do not hold back. You just need to do what I've told you. So Peter invites these Gentiles in to stay with him and then he accompanies them without hesitation after they spent the night. In verse 24 in chapter 10, it says, and the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered. Send to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. Now, of course, when Cornelius fell down and worshiped Peter, Peter didn't allow that and he told him, no, I'm, I am too, I'm a man too. I'm not an angel. I'm not a vision. I'm just a man. And Cornelius says to him, I sent for you at once. And he says to him, and you are kind enough to come. So Peter walks in, and there is a house full of Cornelius' closest friends and family members sitting there, waiting, hungry, and thirsting to hear the word of God. And we really need to picture this. Peter is not totally clear what he's doing. He walks into a house that belongs to a centurion, a Roman soldier. And even though this soldier now was a devout man, you did not become a centurion because you were a kind, gentle person. And he walks in, and there's a group of people that are crowded into this house that we don't know how long they've been sitting there and waiting, but they're hungry to hear what Peter is going to say. Oh, and God is there too. Because he says, we are waiting here in the presence of God. So Peter opened his mouth. And he says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Another way that you could read this is truly, I'm now just beginning to understand that God shows no partiality. I'm just beginning to perceive what God is trying to say, that anyone in every nation, anyone who fears him is acceptable to him. He is saying that these people are considered special by God. And the Holy Spirit has begun to prepare their hearts to give them a hunger, a desire to hear the word of God. They are not already saved. They still need to hear the message. They still need to believe that message. But it is by that message that they will be saved. 
as Peter brings them the word of God. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 56. And it says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And then from Isaiah 65, it says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask me for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. And I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. If you remember in the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he was studying the scriptures in Isaiah, and he said, someone needs to explain this to me. Then Philip appears, the deacon. A eunuch was not allowed in the temple. He had no part, no hope of being of God's people. He was not born into that nation, but God was saying by the water of baptism, you can become one of God's people. And perhaps you've realized that in your own life, that sometimes you have closer relationships with those of the body of Christ than maybe some of your own family. So as Philip preached the good news to this man, he said, what keeps me from being baptized? And there was nothing to keep him from being baptized. So God was saying that we have a place, we have a part, and we had no more hope than the eunuch. But here there were Gentiles who feared God. They were prepared, they were prepared by God they realized that they were sinners. They realized that God was holy. They realized that they could not save themselves. They realized that they needed the gospel. And Peter begins to preach to them, and he says, God sent his word to Israel, to his people, to his nation. But he also said to them that he is Lord of all. He said there is peace through Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And Peter says to these men and women that have gathered, We are speaking of Jesus Christ, the one that God has anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed, all who were held captive by the devil. Now, because he did this, they hung him on a tree. They put him to death. But God raised him up on the third day, and he chose some of us as witnesses to see this miraculous event because he appeared to us. 
We sat down with him, we ate with him, we talked with him, and he is alive. And because we are witnesses of these facts, God has commanded us to preach, and God has commanded us to testify that Jesus is the one who is appointed to judge, the one who took our place. The one who died on the cross is the one also who will judge us. And then he gives them the promise of the gospel, and he says, everyone who believes receives forgiveness through his name. Now at this point, the Holy Spirit makes a visitation, and it's not just to the unbelievers, but was also to the believers. And it's as if God is saying, here I am with them, where are you? God was with Cornelius and invited Peter to come visit him. So there's an invitation for the believer. There's also an invitation to the unbeliever. We need to meet in Christ. And then the Holy Spirit fell on all these Gentiles in the same way that he came upon the first disciples in, the, in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And they were amazed because God had shown that he had accepted these people that they thought they were out of the bounds of the gospel. Now Cornelius' words to Peter after he gathered his family and closest friends are very striking. As Cornelius fell down before Peter, I don't think that he was necessarily confused or was actually worshiping Peter, but it seems that he realized what a divine gift that Peter was delivering. Here in the city that symbolized the great division between Jew and Gentile, Caesarea, the city of Caesar, Peter arrives with the good news, the gospel, the proclamation concerning Jesus, the anointed one of God, that both spiritually awakened Jew and Gentiles had long awaited. And with gracious words from a Gentile man that we would have, been, we would have assumed had been rejected by God, and had no real hope or hunger for the things of God. But he and his family anxiously wait for this message. And when he arrives, Cornelius says to Peter, I sent for you at once, and you were kind enough to come. So a door was divinely opened for the gospel in the city of Caesarea, and it's a door that God invites us through. And it's a door that challenges all of our assumptions, our prejudices, our fears of rejection. The words that he commanded us to preach were not exclusive to the apostles, but apply also to us. It's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that there are some people who are undeserving or outside the bounds of the gospel. And we must not forget that even though Cornelius was a good man, he still needed to hear and believe in the gospel. And here in the presence of God, a group of sinners eagerly received the gospel and believed. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. You know, tomorrow I start a new job at the rescue mission. I'm going to be the director of the chaplains. And um, one of my favorite pictures is of a, a chaplain from World War II that's kneeling down with a soldier, and he has on his, his white robe and his combat boots, and his combat boots are covered in blood and mud, and, and that's all you see is the soldier's boots and the chaplain's boots. 
how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news. I'm a preacher. I've been called by God to preach, and his church has recognized and affirmed the calling. The other day I was looking at my shoes. I'd been down at the Lawrence Street shelter, and I got home uh, to get some lunch, and I looked at my shoes, and they were disgusting. I don't know, and I don't want to think about what was on them. Now, I usually would have just cleaned them and sanitized them, but there was no saving those shoes. So I just took them to the trash and threw them down the, the trash chute. I have preached with dirt and mud on my shoes. I preached with vomit on them. I preach where somebody has urinated on me. I've actually preached with someone's blood dripping on my shoes. There are some people that have spit on my shoes as I preached. But there's also been people that have figuratively bowed down and kissed my shoes. Not because of who I am or what I, or what I do, but because of the message that I bring. I bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus and God through Jesus Christ. So what is God saying? He's saying, Peter, they're waiting to hear people that you would normally never associate with, people that you would think are outside of the bounds of the gospel, and are not worthy to, to hear and receive. But don't fall into that trap of thinking that they don't want to hear. There are many who don't want to hear, but and sometimes the ones, but there are sometimes people that they don't want to hear are the very ones that God is beginning to prepare their heart. God has commanded us, preach the gospel. Preach Christ. And God will honor his word. And in fact, as Peter opened his mouth and preached the word, God honored and confirmed the word that he spoke. And these Gentiles were filled with the Holy Spirit and accepted into his church. Let's pray. Lord, you are a gracious God, and indeed you have chosen people like us, Lord. And thank you, Father, for that precious possession that you've placed in our hands to bring the gospel to those who have not heard. And we thank you, Father, that there are many who are eagerly waiting your word. Be glorified, Lord, be glorified through Jesus Christ. Be glorified. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.